In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. I've been thinking about temptation this week. I've been pondering on the way people view temptation. What gets them going on it? What makes their juices run? Why is it so alluring? And why is it so powerful at times? I was thinking about French patisserie, for example. Do you find these tempting? Yeah. Oh, I haven't even said them yet. <laughs> raspberry, millefeuille, with puff pastry platforms and fresh raspberries on a bed of cream for every layered tier. Eclairs with colourfully glazed choux pastry buns filled with rich creme patisserie. Profiteroles made with choux pastry and filled with sweetened cream and custard, then garnished with a thick, rich chocolate coating. Or the variation of double chocolate profiteroles with salted caramel cream. Ta-ta-ta-tan with the gorgeous combination of dark and sticky caramel, sweet apples, and crisp pastry. And then, of course, creme brulee, with its creamy, pudding-like baked custard and brittle top of melted sugar that cracks when you gently tap it with a spoon. Are we getting into the subject? Is it tempting? Then, of course, there are all the sexy temptations of lust. After all the beautiful shapes and bodies of women, men, and all the other genders that excite and enthrall. But I won't explore them in any detail. You'll be pleased or disappointed to know. Temptation is about desire or an urge, an attraction. It's associated with an itch, an impulse, or an inclination. It can also be linked with being enticed or allured. It is usually associated with doing something wrong or unwise. But that isn't necessarily the case. It is possible to be tempted to do good, but that is unusual. Here we are in Lent where we take cognizance of our weaknesses and try to do something about at least one of them. We sort of study what we regret, or an aspect of what we regret about ourselves. It's a special time in the church's year to try and improve ourselves in some way, so that by Easter, our walk will be closer with God. The first Sunday in Lent is usually about temptation. The Gospel accounts each year vary between Matthew's and Luke's descriptions of Jesus' tempta Jesus's temptations in the desert before his ministry, and Mark's one verse. The, the temptations were essentially about Jesus using his many talents for his own benefit, rather than for his service and suffering for others. He resisted these self-centered temptations and gave himself to a ministry of quintessential love. So what is temptation for us? And what does it mean for us during Lent? I think it's often trivialized into descriptions of individualized and not very important aspects of behavior. 
For example, people may give up chocolate for Lent or don't eat a dessert. Well, it's a good thing to look after our bodies and discipline some of our desires. It's hardly the quintessential love and service Jesus was aiming for. In my view, we need to think more about the temptations that damage other people rather than individualised personal improvements. There are many temptations we all experience that damage others. Think of the passive ways we so often go along with popular views that hurt, that hurt individuals or groups of people. How we feed prejudice by falling into the, the temptation of not challenging it among our friends or family. How we prefer to live in comfort with them and our workmates when they're hurting other people and speaking ill of them. We do this instead of helping them see things through the eyes of those they are damaging. I remember during the 1981 Springbok tour how polarizing the dialogue was among friends and families at dinner parties, workplaces and in neighborhoods. Most of the country wanted to keep sport out of politics. They don't admit that now, but that was the case. And were keen for the tour to progress. It was justified on the grounds of democratic freedom and the right to enjoy the great sport. People often went further justifying aspects of apartheid or arguing the situation was improving. Many Kiwis were tempted to passively accept these arguments and went along with them. To challenge them led to conflict in most situations. The temptation was to passively accept the status quo. If we try to think what Jesus would do in that situation, it can help us link the way he dealt linked into the way he dealt with temptation. His impulse was to turn away from himself and look for the greater good. That is what it records he did in the wilderness. Well, the greater good in 1981 was to enhance international cooperation in placing economic sanctions and a sporting boycott on South Africa. That so pressurised the African elite, the policy of apartheid would be eliminated. So let's just understand the temptations here, because they were threefold. The first temptation was not to bother seeking the information that showed how effective the boycott could be. The second temptation was not to challenge the narratives that supported the status quo when it was clearly in, in the interest of black and coloured South Africans to challenge that. The third temptation was to provide passive personal support to those who had no interest in helping black and coloured South Africans because it was easier to do so. The status quo, quo later changed over time, of course. When Mandela was released from prison and eventually became the president of South Africa, he was hugely respected around the world. When he came to Aotearoa, he acknowledged the effectiveness of the sporting boycotts and specifically the anti-apartheid movement in New Zealand. He said that the protest against the 1981 Springbok tour disrupted South African complacency by drawing international attention, particularly to the Afrikaans' rugby-supporting families in South Africa, 
as they were forced to view the protest in their own sitting rooms when they tuned in for a match. No one now tries to justify the policy of apartheid and almost everyone accepts that the sporting boycott played a significant role in bringing down apartheid. It's no longer cool to have been a supporter of that tour and those who were are generally very quiet about it today. They gave us a hard time at the time, I can tell you. So what is the lesson here for Lent? It's to get smarter about temptation. Our sins of omission are as significant as our sins as our sins of commission. Why don't we use the Lenten period to become more discerning about the way we attempted to be passive and live a comfortable life? Why don't we study the fear we have of being different and standing up for an important principle? <coughs> Why don't we reflect on how we let vulnerable people down by not bothering to learn enough about their situation and to stand with them? It's so easy to feed prejudice. We have these competitive genes that encourage us to do better than others, which often leads us to create damaging stories about those who are different from us. Being competitive is not all bad, of course, because it can help us do better at things, and it has supported our adaptation through the evolutionary process. However, we are also a cooperative species who work together for survival, and that has also been helpful for our evolutionary development. Lent can be a time when we can learn how to discern when we're tempted to go along with the narratives and actions of, of, of mates who are looking after their own interest and damaging the lives of others, we can do something about it. Think of the changing narratives about women over the last five decades, about climate change, cultural difference, the rainbow community, and people with disabilities. The early proponents of each of these movements have had to struggle hard to deconstruct the powerful advantages of established groups and to create preferred narratives that challenge the accepted status quo. It is always a long historical struggle. When the heat is on and judgments are being made, what are we tempted to do? Do we sit passively? And can we learn to get beyond our own interests and think of the impact on, these, uh, on those different from us? Can we learn more about the effects of our and others' prejudices on them when we fall into the temptation of going along with the prejudice? Can we be smart enough to recognise it as prejudice when most of the people around us are fickle and say it's fair enough? Can we learn to resist these sorts of temptations? In my view, it's the temptations that go almost unnoticed but damage other people that require a lot of work. These are far more important than giving up chocolate or profiteroles. They are not superficial. They take us into the wilderness with Jesus. They confront us with the real temptations that have their origins in the power of our egos and our desire for a comfortable life. That is what he struggled with there. 
the temptation to passively accept the privilege that society would have accorded him, rather than listen deeply, uh, rather than listen and deeply understand the hardships of others and the inequities they experience. For you and me, the current status quo may reward us because we're white or male or able-bodied or heterosexual or because nobody notices if we do nothing about climate change or whatever else. <clears throat> the temptation for us is not to oppose these things. We're far too PC at St Peter's to do that. No, no, no. The temptation for us is simply to be passive. We probably agree with the enlightened movements of change and even feel sympathy for the pain disadvantaged people experience. We are just tempted to let it pass. It is too hard, sad. So the good news is you don't really need to feel so bad about getting into those gorgeous raspberry millefouille, nor the glazed eclairs, the thick chocolate coated profiteroles with salted caramel cream, nor the tarte tartare, nor even the cream brulee with its delicate brittle top of melted sugar that cracks when you gently tap it with a spoon. No, these are not really a problem. The real challenge about temptation is to appreciate that we are often tempted to damage others by being passive and impervious to their needs or cries. We do this in our families, in our relationships with each other, in our community, and in our workplaces. Let's focus on these temptations rather than the private struggles for personal improvement, which we will probably do anyway. <clears throat>